Hi friends, thank you for tuning in to the Concussion Coach Podcast. I'm Bethany Lewis, the Concussion Coach. I'm a neurological occupational therapist and certified life coach, and I specialize in guiding people through their concussion recovery journey. I am passionate about helping people understand their injury, speed up their recovery, and reclaim control over their life post-concussion. The purpose of this podcast is to help increase awareness of concussions and the impact they can have on a person's life, and to bring hope to people who have suffered a concussion and those who love them. I firmly believe that sharing stories and knowledge about concussions will bring important light and understanding to this misunderstood and often invisible injury. The information in this podcast is meant to bring that awareness and hope and is not meant as medical advice. The opinions shared are those of the interviewees and my own. If you are suffering with lingering concussion symptoms, I have created a concussion coaching program specifically for you. I will be your mentor to guide you through your recovery journey, offering help with understanding and managing your symptoms, setting achievable goals, and learning how to manage your own thoughts and nervous system in order to get control over your life again. If this program sounds like something that would help you or someone you love, sign up for a free consultation. In the consultation, you'll get valuable information and resources and gain hope for your future. Sign up for your free consultation at the link in the show notes or at my website, www.theconcussioncoach.com. Hi friends, welcome back to the Concussion Coach Podcast. Today's episode is a special one. You are in for a treat. My friend Kaylee Blair is joining me as a guest co-host, and we are interviewing Dr. Devin Duvall, an amazing neurooptometrist who is legendary amongst the patients at Cognitive FX, where Kaylee and I both work. You may remember Kaylee from episode 20 on this podcast, and if you haven't heard her story, you should definitely go back and listen to it. She has had her own experience with brain injuries and is currently a brain injury coach herself. She is also the head patient care coordinator at Cognitive FX and was formerly a vision therapist at New Sight Vision Therapy, where she met and worked with Dr. Duvall. Kaylee will be a guest co-host on other episodes of this podcast, so stay tuned for more awesomeness with the amazing Kaylee Blair. And as for today's interview, we will be talking about vision and how brain injuries impact our visual system with Dr. Duvall. Dr. Duvall obtained his bachelor's from Brigham Young University Provo in exercise science. Hey, so did I, actually. That's funny. (laughs) He received his doctor of optometry degree from Southern College of Optometry in Memphis, Tennessee. After graduation, he completed a residency in pediatrics vision therapy and vision rehabilitation, making him one of three optometrists in Utah to gain this type of advanced training. He also completed his board certification in vision development and vision therapy, making him a fellow from the College of Optometrists and Vision Development. He is also a member of Neurooptometric Rehabilitation Association. Awesome. So thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Duvall. And Kaylee also wants to share a little bit about how she knows you as well. So go ahead, Kaylee. Take it away. Not that that wasn't enough of an introduction, but I just was like, ah, because Dr. Duvall, you are amazing. Uh, I think we all three of us know this, but... I, I had the chance to work with Dr. Duvall both as a patient when I was just in the depths of it all. And I had the opportunity to work with him with patients and having that unique perspective with Dr. Duvall. I, I consider you a, a great, amazing human being, but also you always care about the patient and what kind of care they're getting. And that means the world to anyone dealing with a brain injury or dealing with vision problems, period, because we know that that's never fun or ideal. So I just wanted to share Dr. Duvall's one of those gold nuggets. Oh, thank you so much. That's super kind to both of you. Well, let's start off by hearing a little bit more about you, Dr. Duvall. Can you tell us what got you interested in optometry and how you ended up focusing in on neurooptometry? Yeah, absolutely. So Kaylee was actually, you know, mentioning that there's that that personal touch from the vision therapy. I think a lot of it has to do with everything that happened to me as a, as a kid and, and growing up. So the my initial interest in optometry was actually 
pretty basic. It, I'd worked a lot with eye doctors, both optometrists and ophthalmologists all growing up. And I had a number of eye problems growing up. So I just always at the eye doctor and it sounded like a good job. And so I decided that I wanted to, to do that and really had no idea that there was more for me besides that. Uh, I, as a kid, I, my eye problems really stemmed from a concussion that I got when I was four years old. So I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is a wonderful, wild place to live. And as a little four-year-old boy in the middle of winter, there's not a lot to do sometimes. And so I was making use of the windowsill and just jumping off of the windowsill and jumping into the middle of the room and ended up hitting a coffee table with uh, my eyebrow, but right above my left eye. And so got stitches and everything and really thought that was the end of it. The next week, I ended up getting sick and got a lazy eye as well. So between the, the trauma from the concussion and getting sick, my left eye just kicked in towards my nose and I ended up with some strabismus. And as is commonly taught, you know, this is an emergency. So we brought me back down to Utah, did an eye surgery to make sure both eyes were straight because we were told that if we didn't fix it now, it was never going to be fixed. And so we, we did that and I ended up patching and, and uh, going through bifocals. I had really, really ugly glasses growing up. They were the, you know, the eighties glasses, the really thick bifocal with the ear loop that went around and the little silver beads that stuck out underneath my glasses. And so I wore those growing up until I finally didn't need the bifocal anymore sometime in uh, late elementary school and finally convinced my mom that I could do contacts when I was in fifth grade. So I did contacts and every year my prescription just got better and better, which was weird because all my other classmates, their prescriptions were getting worse and worse. And I couldn't quite figure out why that was happening. And then finally in seventh grade, my the doctor that was checking my eyes was you know, ask him which is better, one or two. And, and I was like, I don't know. I, I can't tell a difference between the two. And he's like, well, there's nothing in there. And he put his fingers through the holes in the, the phoropter. And he was like, there's nothing in there. How about no contacts, no glasses? And I was like, is that a thing? I didn't know there was a thing. Like, no, I, we, we've been doing this like surgery and bifocals and I can do nothing. That's pretty awesome. So I was like, great, super. And then I just kind of moved on with life, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And so by the time we got to, going to optometry school and picking that as a career, I was like, yeah, I, I want to kind of figure out why that happened. Why did everyone else get worse when I got better? Maybe I can go figure that out and help more people do that. And so as I was working for another optometrist here in Provo, actually, as a technician, uh, you're required to get another eye exam before you go to school to just make sure you're physically capable of being an optometrist. And so he checked my stuff out and he was going through things. And then at one point, he kind of just pauses and he he looks over at me. He's like, so um, do you see double? And I was like, that's kind of a weird question. No, no, I don't. I don't see double. He's like, huh, you sure you don't see double? Because you should be seeing double. Like, And I'm like, well, only in the evenings when I'm tired or watching TV and stuff like everybody else. And he's like, oh, guess what? Nobody else goes double in the evenings. And I didn't realize that that just was not a normal process. When I would study, if I would read and study for more than about 10, 15 minutes, I would start seeing double vision or I'd get so tired that I get a headache and I just couldn't study any longer. And that's just how I'd grown up. I didn't realize that was a, an issue or a problem, right? I ended up, you know, 
he told me that I had one eye that was slightly higher than the other and that my eyes still wanted to turn in a little bit and that the the one eye higher than the other can cause things like car sickness and nausea, you know, other nausea and dizziness type stuff. And we have stories that I won't share here about car trips that I've been on. And, you know, and just when they didn't drug me, things did not go well. And we had messes, you know, and, and it was just, if we, if we had to go past Salt Lake, when we moved back down to Utah, you know, if we go past Salt Lake, we had to drug me so that I wouldn't have problems in the car. And so he's like, okay, well, you need vision therapy. And I was like, cool. What's vision therapy? Because I've worked for you for two years and this has never come up before. Vision therapy wasn't even a thing, right? We talked glaucoma and cataracts and all these other cool diseases, but what is vision therapy? He's like, well, it's this, this, this thing. We don't do it here. It's why I haven't heard about it, but they have it in optometry school and you should do it because it's definitely a thing. <laughs> I was like, and, you know, I was like, okay, great. Thanks. Did I pass? Can I go to optometry school and move on with my life? Because as, as much as I, I love this, this doc, I was like, I'm 24. If I've made it this far, I really don't need anything, right? Like I've, I made it and I, I got in, I got a scholarship, but I don't need vision therapy. So I moved on actually and got to optometry school and we were doing microscope labs and the doctor was walking around kind of looking at me and then, you know, everybody else. He's like, by the way, everybody else who, uh, if you can't make both images single in the microscope, make sure you get a vision therapy evaluation. And I was like, oh gosh, that's that's me. Because every time we ever grabbed a microscope, I would just take one eyepiece and just throw it off to the side. Because I'm like, I don't know, this is just a hassle. I, I always see double in it. And I don't know what you get with two eyes that you can't get with one eye anyway. And so I was like, I'm like, okay, there it is again. So I'm like, I'm like okay, let's go do this, this evaluation and... They're like, yeah, you definitely need vision therapy. But I'm like, but I see 2020. I am 2020 on the eye chart. And they're like, yeah, yeah, not that. How do you guys work together as a team? And so at that point, vision therapy was free with all of my tuition, right? And so they threw me in vision therapy. And honestly, I was a terrible patient because you're taking like 20 credit hours each semester and it's just brutal. And so, you know, this weird therapy that I was doing was kind of back burner, wasn't really doing much about it. But the doctor that was treating me, Dr. Paul Harris, he was very, very hands-on. A lot of the doctors let the students just kind of do their thing, but he was very, very hands-on. And I remember going to the grocery store one day and I left without a headache. And I was like, I don't have a headache. I always have a headache when I leave the grocery store. That's interesting. And so I would, you know, I was like, I wonder if this vision therapy is part of that. And we had just barely learned and gone over some procedures, how to focus and relax their eyes and focus and relax the eyes. And it was called look hard, look soft. And I'd, and so I, by going to the grocery store and not like drilling in on everything that I was looking at, I was able to leave without a headache. And I was like, huh, maybe I should be a better patient and actually do more of my exercises. But at the end of the, the six month process of vision therapy for me, I could actually read books for fun. And I did not like to read books for fun in college I had to form study groups and find other ways around it because I was the kid in high school that would listen, memorize, and never study and get a 4.0 that everyone hated, right? It was just like, I don't know why I can't be like, that's so stupid, right? If we ever had to read something, it just wasn't going to go well. Mm. So I had an AP chemistry class and there was a book somewhere that I was supposed to read. And because I didn't ever read it, I got two B pluses in high school. And it was for my AP chemistry classes because it was so dense and there's so much stuff and chemistry and it just didn't work out well. 
And so that's how I got through high school. And I got to BYU and I was like, cool, we're going to do the same thing. And was immediately getting C's and D's on my tests. And I was like, why am I, why am I failing when I, everyone else is doing the same thing that they were in high school? And they were like, well, did you go to class? Yeah, I went to class. Did you, did you take notes? Uh, yeah, I took bad notes. I have notes somewhere. And they're like, well, did you read the book? And I was like, no, I went to class. That's why I don't read books because I show up to class. And, and then I found out that they test on things that they don't cover in class, which I thought was really rude. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I study groups and uh, just working for a while, taking a break and going back at it. It was really how I got through BYU. I just worked my tail off. To, to do stuff and it it standardized tests were never my thing like all of my friends in high school got like 34s 35s 36s on the ACT full ride scholarships to BYU and I got a 17 and I was like why am I the the dumb one in the group I felt like I was the dumb one and also at the same time like I know I'm not the dumb one in the group because I don't have to study and you guys all have to study Anyway, so I going through and the standardized tests were just brutal. But after going through the process of, of vision therapy, books became fun. I could do standardized tests. The sports that I'd tried to, to do as a kid and failed suddenly became easier because I had chosen things like baseball as my favorite sport as a kid and is not the best sport for someone who has no depth perception. I had no depth perception with my lazy eye. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up in good things like swimming and ballroom dance and music all of which don't include flying projectiles, right? Nothing's flying at your face and you don't have reaction time. And I did fine with those. And so as I finished this vision therapy process, I suddenly looked back on all my life and I was like, heck, why did we not do this when I was four years old? And at that point, was still not gonna do vision therapy as a career. I was like, that was neat. I need to move on. And as I listened during my like second year of optometry school and my third year of optometry school, Every time vision therapy would come up, everyone would just roll their eyes and be like, let's talk about disease. And, you know, this is whether they didn't believe in it or just didn't care about it. They just just tuned out every time. And I was like, guys, this is this is like life changing. This is really cool stuff. Right. So I I keyed in more than my classmates. and I just paid attention because I'd been through it as a, a patient. So then when we got to my third year of optometry school, I was like the student expert on vision therapy because I've been a patient first, right? And so then they had started handing me all the harder patients and, you know, putting me with it. And I was like, and then very quickly, I realized, you know what, I actually like this. And I knew I wanted to work with kids and then set out to fix all of the lazy eye kids of the world was actually what I wanted to do. Fix all the, the lazy eye kids like I used to be. And then was in my last year doing rotations that I started working with some patients that I realized that maybe I wanted to do neuro rehab as well. I worked with a patient over at an office in Pleasant Grove and he came in and I saw him and his eyes wouldn't stop shaking when I saw him. And he could barely see the biggest letter on the eye chart because his eyes wouldn't stop shaking. And I stepped out of the office to go talk to Dr. Price, who was my supervising doctor. And he's like, oh, what are we going to do? And I was like, I have no idea what we're going to do because I don't know how to start vision therapy or anything with where he's at. And Dr. Price just told me, well, let's start where they are and go where they ain't. And, you know, what can't he do? I'm like, he can't keep his eyes still. Okay, let's get his eyes still. And so that's what we worked on with vision therapy for, I think we did a a progress check at like six to eight weeks in. And he was 
almost down to driving level after like six to eight weeks. And I was like, what did we just do? Cause that was awesome. <laughs> and he was so, you know, and, and working with brain injuries and getting people's lives back, I, I realized was so much more rewarding than just working with the kids who have lazy eyes and parents want them to do better, but they could care less sometimes. And so then I decided, you know, they're, they're kind of the same giving skills that they've never had or restoring skills that they once had. And so then I picked a, a residency that would let me do both pediatrics and vision therapy, vision rehabilitation as well. And so I finally put all the pieces together of what I wanted to do in the, the vision neuro rehab stuff. And that was, so it was really this, this long journey of, of me realizing finally that it wasn't just a lazy eye. It was a concussion as a kid as well. That gave me all the problems, the light sensitivity, nausea, dizziness, and the reading problems and getting fixed that led me down this really long road to decide that I wanted to specialize in neuro rehab and vision therapy. Oh my goodness. That is quite, quite the story. And I didn't realize when we were going to be going into this, it, it was a, a confession story. <laughs> I yeah. guess you yeah. had your own experience. Oh man. Thank you for sharing that. And I am so interested in, well, actually there were questions that came up as you were talking, but I'm, I, could you explain for us and everyone listening, what is the difference between ophthalmology? Is that how you say ophthalmology? Yeah. yeah. And optometry. And then also neuro-ophthalmology and neuro-optometry. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of what we call it the three O's, optometry, ophthalmology, and opticians actually as well. So, um, so we'll, we'll include all of those, but so opticians are the ones who you're going to go to to make sure that glasses look good on your face and pick out the lens options and stuff that you want. And okay. so you can either do that on the job training and get certificates or there's like schools you can go to get optician training. Uh, in order to become an ophthalmologist, which is what I'm not, an ophthalmologist, they go directly to medical school after they get their bachelor's degree. They do general medical stuff. And after, when they're done, if you qualify for the residencies, then you can do an ophthalmology residency. So one of the biggest things that they do differently than we do is they do surgery. This is LASIK surgery. This is cataract surgery. And there are general ophthalmologists out there as well, but a lot of ophthalmologists will specialize in certain things. And so an ophthalmologist is going to have a lot more of a surgical approach to a lot of the things that they're doing. Whereas the piece of the, the brain or the pathology that we need to fix, where do I cut to make this right? So going to get a perspective from an ophthalmologist, say like a lazy eye, they're going to look for a muscle weakness and then they're going to cut the muscles to make them straight to make sure that we don't have a lazy eye anymore. And so ophthalmologists, we'll, we'll look at it from that perspective, a neuro-ophthalmologist is someone who has gone that route and also decided to specialize in neuro cases. And so you'll see them for brain eye stuff. And, and if they're going to do a surgery, that's who's going to help you do those kinds of surgeries related to some of those things. They can be involved in a lot of the concussion care. And there's a couple of really good ones out there. And then sometimes they write reports and the patients have reasons for what's going on, but don't necessarily know what to do next to fix it. And they're, because a lot of times they'll give the medications to help manage symptoms. Optometry, which is what I'm, I do, is optometrists graduate and get their bachelor's and they go, they skip any sort of medical school, but more like a dentist, they'll go straight to optometry school. 
And that's a four-year program at one of the 20-ish programs across the country. And we've the first year is pretty much general medicine and some optics. And then the second year is a lot of eye-specific stuff. And then third and fourth years are clinical experience working at different things. But essentially it's four years to get you really in-depth talking about eyes. But any one particular field in optometry, you may not go very deep into. So uh, when you graduate from optometry school, technically everyone's allowed to do vision therapy when they graduate from optometry school, but really aren't qualified to do yet. Just from those one semester unit classes that you did was kind of exposing you to vision therapy. Uh, we'll kind of get you some easy cases, but neuro cases are just way harder than that. So a neurooptometrist is someone who's gone on and specialized in that. Like a residency is what I did, that combined residency. And then in order to get board certified, there's a four-year board certification process through the College of Optometrists and Vision Development. And so really the, the people that I refer out to when people aren't local, I'm looking for people who are residency trained, board certified doctors to take care of my patients. That's that FCOVD is, is the initials at this point for that. They're gonna be changing them here in the next couple of years because uh, it sounds a lot like COVID. So <laughs> the COVD and the COVID, but that's what really distinguishes someone as a, a neurooptometrist. Okay. So the, the neurooptometrist is a part where you've done the extra yep. and all of that. Yep. And a neurooptometrist is going to be a lot more like a physical therapist, occupational therapist, but for the eyes. So we're going to be looking at functionally how do things work and how do we make them work better? And so me as a, a neurooptometrist, I'm going to be doing some basic routine eye exam stuff. I can check glasses, I can check contacts, but most of what I'm going to be doing is figuring out how to make the vision work better past just the 2020. What else can we get working better? Got it. Cool. Thank you. Yep. That's you're welcome. Really helpful. Can you help our listeners understand the difference between visual acuity and visual perceptual processing? Oh, yeah. So visual acuity is what most people think of when they think about the eye doctor and the eye chart. So there's this Snellen eye chart with big black letters on a white chart. And if you can see 2020, then that means that from 20 feet away, you can read the 20 size letters. And that's what's called a visual acuity. And it, it's an important process. It's important for passing your, your driving tests and making sure that you're okay there. Uh, but it's really more of just a, a clarity test. And so outside of acuity, uh, this, this processing that you're talking about, there's all sorts of things that the eyes need to do in order to first gather the information and then to make sense of the information. And so all of that's super, super important. You've got around 15 to 20% of your visual pathways are actually non-sight visual pathways. They don't form an image, but they help the rest of your systems do things like tell you when to sleep because it's dark. And they you know, help you with immediate feedback on where to point your eyes and focus your eyes. And so there's a lot of things that happen in a brain that just don't happen in a camera. A camera is responsible for just gathering. And as nice as the analogy is for, you know, the, the eye is like a camera, the visual system is a lot more than that. It has to process and make sense of their environment. Because a lot of my concussion patients see, quote unquote, great, 
because they see fine on the eye chart, but they get really easily overwhelmed by busy places or driving the, you know, that flow out the window is just too much or they, you know, there's too much going on at the grocery store at a family party. And it really has to do with that processing and filtering what's important, what's not important. Where do I look next with my eyes? There's really a couple big areas that we end, end up talking about with how their eyes point and how they focus and how they, uh, how they track as well. But then there's a, a ton of other categories that we can talk about for exactly how we process what we see in our environment. Yeah, I don't know if you want to go we can go deeper into that, but that's a little bit more about what, what processing is. No, that's great. That was amazing. And I know you've kind of already touched on this, but just to kind of give a direct answer, what exactly is vision therapy and who can benefit from it? Yep. Uh, so vision therapy is a series of directed activities to help give the patient the, the necessary meaningful experiences that they need to progress with things that are not related to glasses and contacts. So vision therapy is essentially exercises to help improve the way that your brain and eyes work together as a team to process your world. And so who could benefit from vision therapy? I'm going to give you my biased answer and I'm going to say everybody. So, you know, I've had a couple people that come in. It's like, have you ever seen someone with perfect eyes? And I'm like, oh, no, never perfect eyes. Perfect vision. Sure. If we go 2020s, perfect vision, lots of people have that. Uh, 25% of our school-aged kids have vision problems that are interfering with the way that they learn. And so if you look in the reading resource group, 70 to 75% of those people have vision problems that interfere with the way that their eyes work, that vision therapy could help. Um, that number actually ends up being the same number for places like juvenile detention and places where they're, you're kind of running into to problems with the law because in so, their vision plays a role in them not fitting into the system very well. And so a lot of people can benefit from vision therapy. And I, when I heard the number 25% as a student, I was like, wow, it cannot be that high. And the longer I do vision therapy, the more I'm like, man, it cannot be that low, right? Because everyone could benefit from vision therapy. We work with some people for sports vision. And because sports is a lot of visual, how do I predict where the ball is going to be next? You know, if I throw the ball this far, this hard, this is then this person's going to be in this place. Vision's a huge piece to that puzzle. And so there, there's always things that we can do. A lot of my patients who need help for school, they just feel like they're putting a lot of effort in and they're just not getting out what they wanted to get out. And my concussion patients often tell me things like, I can just tell like my eyes just don't quite work like they used to. They don't talk to my brain. There's a, there's a mismatch. There's a, a, a wire that's loose. And I just feel like my eyes just don't work the way they're supposed to anymore. Uh, and those people tend to be able to benefit quite a bit from, from vision therapy. And it really doesn't matter how long the injury has been. So I, I like seeing patients when it's sooner just because they don't have to suffer as long. But I went 20 years before I found something and it's and still got help very quickly, very easily once we found the right place to get help. And you know, unfortunately, because vision therapy is not as mainstream or visible, uh, a lot of patients come to me as a last resort. And it's been years and years. And there's really no cap to when we can do this and until they're no longer living, breathing. I've got plenty of 80-year-old patients in the clinic right now, actually, who are working through some of their stuff, either for strokes, lazy eyes, 
or for some concussion stuff. Wow. That's amazing. Are there, okay. So I, I have a kiddo who has ADHD and Tourette's actually, and the ADHD I think is connected to that. But I remember before we knew he had Tourette's, we were, I was looking at different brain (laughs) programs out there um, to try to help. And one of them, I remember somebody saying that vision therapy helped their kiddo with ADHD. Is that a thing? (laughs) It is a thing actually. Um, And so a lot of times what I'll tell my patients is, am I going to fix your ADHD? Probably not, but some of the visual symptoms can create problems that look a lot like ADHD. So for, for instance, if you have a kid who's seeing double vision on the page, me included, right? How long are we going to want to look at the page? Not very long. And so I'm going to look real quick and then I'm going to get distracted and start poking my neighbor and causing problems for the teacher. And the teacher's going to be like, pay attention. I want you to pay attention. And I'm looking at the page and it's going to like start going in out of focus and double a little bit. And so then it's going to cause attention problems. So if you wanted me to sit down and read a scientific article, you were going to get ADHD from me. Because I wasn't going to be able to do it. I wasn't going to be able to remember what I read. I couldn't pay attention long enough to actually get to the bottom of the page. But I would have skimmed through the whole thing in about two minutes. Like I'll read the whole thing in about two minutes, pull out the highlights, probably get 70% of what you wanted me to get out of it in two minutes and miss some of the details that you maybe also wanted me to get. And so there is this overlap. We have a, a sheet that we can actually pull out. We can mark all the things that are, these are ADHD. And they're also vision. So mm. we want to make sure that we're we're watching for things that are vision related and solving those first uh, before we jump to any sort of ADHD conclusion. That, so, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I honestly, yeah, our ADHD kids are actually some of the kids who are most, they're most hyper aware. And if we'd rewinded things back a hundred years would be our best hunter or gatherers. And we would have like, they would have been the people that we most wanted in our groups because they were so good at making sure that something's over here. I got, I I see something and it's going to kill us. Let's, let's, you know, and then, but we're going to protect ourselves because we noticed Mm. very good at actually tracking and following some of those bigger picture type things. But when you sit them down in a classroom environment and make them sit and pay attention, uh, then it, it goes, you know, it, it, it does not go well. And so we try and medicate them to make them stay looking at some of the places. Cause I did my residency in Kansas and at looking at ADHD rates with correlation with recess is kind of interesting. The higher amounts of recess you have, the lower amounts of ADHD that you have as well. And so we're just trying to get some of these kids to sit and pay attention. And the boys specifically, their visual skills are not ready by kindergarten, usually to handle a lot of that reading that we're asking them to do. The girls actually are, are fairly ready by six years old because they have better fine motor stuff and better attention, but the boys have better gross motor coordination skills. And so looking at some of those things that, yes, vision therapy can help things like ADHD. It can help things like dyslexia and because a lot of those things overlap. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so interesting. Thank you. I know that was kind of a bit of a tangent, but thank you. <laughs> so interesting. I'm curious too about um, vision therapists. So a vision therapist, that title is yeah. that the optometrist or is that other people who are working under the optometrist? Can you define that for us? 
Yeah. So a, a vision therapist is usually someone working under the direction of a neurooptometrist. Okay. Um, so when Kaylee was working for me, she she was a vision therapist. So okay. uh, sometimes I'll get called a vision therapist, and I'm I'm not going to you know fight them too much on it. So a vision therapist is usually the one doing the vision therapy, and you know I have done my own patients and done vision therapy as well and acted as a vision therapist. But a vision therapist is someone who is trained to do the vision therapy procedures underneath and under the supervision of a, a neurooptometrist, someone who is board certified vision therapy. Got it. Thank you. And is that is there a certification for that? There, there is a certification process to become a certified optometric vision therapist. So like I have a, a lot of my vision therapists that I have with me right now don't are working towards that certification. I have one who's certified right now. So there are training procedures that we go through with them. There's a online 20-hour certification process that they go through and then a six-month uh, training protocol that, that we put them through to get them trained to, to work with patients as well. So there's no licensure for vision therapists at this point, like there is for physical therapy or occupational therapy, um, but there's there are certification processes. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you. So can you tell us how vision therapy is helpful for people with concussions specifically? So kind of what common visual issues people with concussions experience and then how those symptoms or what those visual issues cause symptomatically. Sure. Yeah. Cause a lot of people are really confused when they go see an eye doctor for a concussion, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of the common symptoms that I'm going to see are things like light sensitivity, visually induced nausea, things passing in their environment, they get, they get sick, low tolerance to reading. They, they can't read for very long before they get a headache or they get tired and they can't think anymore. Double vision is one of them as well. I get a lot of people who have blurry vision that's not stable. So sometimes clear, sometimes blurry, depends on how hard they're working. Those are a, a couple of the things that I tend to see kind of top of the list for vision therapy. So they'll, they'll come with some of those problems. Vision therapy is uh, really designed to help work through some of those processes to get the brain and the eyes working together again. It, we go back to why a concussion causes problems, it's really just those delicate neuropathways that connect everything together. And when you shake the brain hard enough, then you're going to have those dendritic pathways get damaged. They either get damaged internally, so they're not working quite as well, or they get sheared is the word. And so then those neurons no longer connect at all. And so then you have roads that are not open anymore. And so then the goal here is to reestablish those neuro road pathways so that we can get them working again. And a lot of things can self-rehabilitate, but when we talk about the vision, we're not in the right stage of life for things to self-rehabilitate. We're born and our vision is not developed. Like we have our, our inner ear and our, some of our vestibular stuff is actually fully myelinated, ready to go when we're born. But our Vision systems only basically have been developed. All the stuff's there. We've been looking at blank glowing targets for the last nine months, but that's about it. And so we develop a lot of that stuff. We develop our sense of depth perception by six months old. Focusing happens at three years old. Our tracking system is hopefully mostly online by the time we're getting ready for kindergarten, right? But we have a lot of those things are developing. And so you'll, you know, a lot of people have heard of the, the critical periods or critical windows. And so a lot of things will happen in there and is very important. And if we're outside those windows, we used to think there was nothing we could do. But the, the truth to that is there are things we can do. It's just not going to fix itself outside those windows. And so then we're going through and trying to 
in a lot of ways, mimic a lot of those developmental opportunities that they had to figure out how to use their eyes and make them uh, do it on a more adult level. So rather than making them, you know, lay on their back and roll around for six months, you know, we can do other exercises to provide that meaningful experience to make it happen. People have tracking problems. They're skipping lines and skipping letters. They're moving their eyes all day. What is going to be, you know, what's the benefit of moving the eyes a couple more times in vision therapy if I'm already moving my eyes all day? And it's that that environment they're creating to, to foster the connections between eyes and brain. Is that where, I know you guys have done a little bit with primitive reflexes. Do you do that prior to the actual exercises? Yeah, we, we do. So primitive reflexes tend to be very early on in the, the therapy process. So we have kind of two pieces that we use in the therapy process. Very early on, we use primitive reflexes really early on and what's called optometric phototherapy or syntonics very early on as well. Because we're just trying to make sure that basic neurological processes are are there. So the primitive reflexes help clear out anything that's interfering with us doing higher level cortical type work. And we get the brainstem kind of under control. And that, then the primitive reflexes are kind of handled that way. And then the, the phototherapy helps make sure that the basic neuropathways are open and ready to use. Can you really quickly define primitive reflexes and the phototherapy? Is that what you call them? Yeah. So primitive reflexes. So primitive reflexes are reflexes that we're born with and they are survival reflexes. So they are super, super helpful when we're young. We have the suckling reflex. If you put your finger next to a baby's mouth, they're going to turn and try and latch on because that's where they get food. There's a startle reflex. It's called the Mora reflex and it's the kingpin. Uh, if you've ever watched a, a baby get held on their back um, and they you know, kind of gently hold the baby and toss them just a little bit, they're going to startle because they're going to try and reach for something to hold on to so that they don't fall and get hurt. And we also have some reflexes that we keep later on in life, like our, our knee jerk reflex. You, The doctor will take a hammer and hit your knee and it should jerk. So those reflexes are good to keep. The primitive reflexes are things that are very, very important for survival. But if we retain them or keep them, they're going to interfere with our development. And so these primitive reflexes are, are things that we want to make sure that we work through, that we move past them, because otherwise these reflexes are, are generating static. A, a reflex comes from that brainstem area of our, our head. And we don't want to be functioning on a re reactionary basis or a brainstem level basis by nature of us being human, we have all sorts of higher level processes and thinking that we can do, emotions and, and stuff. But if we're getting this static broadcast from the brainstem, which are these primitive reflexes that are still there, it's going to make it harder for us to do things. Mm -hmm. So certain reflexes can interfere with our ability to pay attention or cross the midline uh, or write. So a lot of these reflexes can make it harder for just everyday type activities. Does that help to find that? Yeah, thank you. And that's something I know that we as occupational therapists sometimes will use primitive reflexes with kiddos to help, yeah, with the writing and things like that. So it's cool that you guys use that as well. And the the phototherapy, is that just, is that yeah. light? Yeah, it's, it's light. So a, a lot of the literature's starting to, to show things and how helpful red light therapy is. 
You can also use different colors besides red. So we have some greens and purples and blues to help target the system, specifically the autonomic nervous system is what we're targeting so that we can work on some of this fight or flight and rest and digest. After a concussion, that fight or flight kicks into gear and just gets locked in and it just will not come out, right? And so when that happens, a a lot of my patients are going to have problems, especially with their peripheral vision. And so that because that peripheral vision is so important in identifying things like danger or what's important and filtering information, if it's constantly engaged and overactive, everything moving in your periphery is going to be a threat. And that's going to make you very nervous and anxious and withdrawn because you're not going to want to be in a visually busy environment. You're going to want to be in a dark, isolated place so that you're not constantly getting triggered. And so the the phototherapy is designed to help open up that periphery and make sure that that's working well. Uh, I'm sure people can identify if you've ever driven in a snowstorm before. You're, or it's a very stressful environment or like a lot of rain. It's very stressful. And essentially what your, your vision will do is it'll kind of tunnel vision, it'll collapse. You're looking just basically the headlights on the car ahead of you. And you're just trying to hold on. You're not looking at the window at all the things passing. You're like, where is the road ahead of me? And as we tunnel vision, that, that fight or flight is kicking in and it's drawing that tunnel down. In the very similar process, when you have a concussion or some more other brain injury, your system responds, it tunnels down and it stays. Even after you're out of the threat, it stays down and locks down. So we're having we're having problems because your peripheral gives you your sense of space. Where am I? Where's the thing I'm looking at? And then kind of filtering out what's important as well. So the, the phototherapy will help open that field back up and help rebalance that autonomic nervous system so that you're not always in fight or flight. Sometimes you need to engage and do things, but a lot of times you can just relax, rest, heal. And that that healing process is is not good when you're always stuck in that sympathetic state. And so the, the lenses we'll use will help facilitate that process and it will actually knock down some of the symptoms like light sensitivity, some of the visual overwhelm, some of the dizziness and nausea as well can come down just by using some of the lights that we have for 20 minutes a day. Super interesting. So if somebody is in their tunnel vision, that's how is it that the the periphery, like if they're in a car and all the things passing by quickly, how does that? How does that work? Yep. So it's still there. So like when we we can do some of the testing we'll do for peripheral vision, just to make sure that we have it, right? Because it's all still there, but the brain is actively trying to ignore all of the rest that's happening out in the periphery and it's not getting processed well. It's too much. And so there's just, it's too much information. I just can't handle it. I don't I don't know if you've ever been stressed out before and, and had a, a child or a niece or a nephew come tap on your, your shoulder or leg and you're just like, ah, I'm too busy, right? It's just too much information. I can't handle it. Versus when I'm relaxed, I'm like, oh, I'd love to come have some kid and, you know, answer questions. We can do that because I'm not overwhelmed. And when the visual system is overwhelmed, it's going to try to ignore all of that periphery and it can't. And, it's, and so it's going to bother the system. And yes, yeah, so you don't see the tunnel, but you feel it. You're like, I can only do this much. And so some of my patients will do things like wear hats because then you're not, you don't get some of that superior the up, the stuff up high. And if you bend the brim down, maybe you don't get some of the other stuff out here as well. And they'll put their head down a little bit 
and it'll eliminate some of that peripheral that they don't have to process at all. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. um, so I know that we, we have, oh my gosh, we have so many questions for you and I know we're limited on time. So we might, if we're going to ask as much as we can, but we might ask you if you willing <laughs> to come back. I'm just throwing that out there. Cause yeah, that's fine. So good. If we need to do it uh, yeah, another day as well. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. So Along the lines of the concussions and the vision therapy stuff, is there, if somebody has had a concussion, how can they know if they should be evaluated by a vision therapist? Um, yeah. yeah, sure. So really right after you've had a concussion, there's this window of about seven to 10 days where a lot of the things that are going to fix themselves will fix themselves. So after about that 10 day mark, and the, the research varies from study to study, about after that 10 day mark, if you still got vision problems, you're like, man, I feel like my eyes are still off. I'm blurry. I can't read as well. Or some of these other symptoms we've been talking about. At, at that point, they should probably find someone who can do a neurovisual eval and to see how things are going. Because at, at that point, the risk that things are going to linger is very high. And so a lot of those things that don't disappear in the first 10 days are going to linger for the next 10 years. And so the, 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 so the studies that I've, I've seen, there's still some improvements that will happen over 10 years, but they'll never reach maximum recovery if they've got things hanging out. And so the goal with vision therapy is to speed up and maximize recovery. And so if you can find someone close to you to, to do a neurovisual eval, then they can kind of give you an idea of where they're at, some basic things to start working on as they watch and see if this is going to stick around forever or not. Got it. And what, how long does vision therapy typically last? Like how long do they need to do it to have it work? Yeah. So for a a lot of my patients, when they're coming in weekly, it's typically about a four to six month process. And so, especially for my concussion patients, we we go less with that for some other cases, but if you've had a, a big concussion that's interfering with your life and things are just not good anymore, uh, four to six months, the nice thing is, is typically once you're done, we'll give you some stabilization exercises. And as long as you don't hit your head again, we're done. And it because like walking or crawling, vision is a learned process. Once we can get it back, you'll use your eyes every day and you'll keep it. Great. Okay. Well, these have been awesome. I'm already thinking of a lot of people that I was like, I'm going to send this to this person. I'm going <laughs> to... You like have the magic ability of explaining it all, which oh, makes sense. Thanks, Haley. It's your bread and butter. I love it. One last question. And then sure. I think we're going to try to hopefully do part two, which would be yeah, great. Sounds good. Um, so what kind of realistic expectations should someone set for their visual system recovering? Yeah. Usually I'm helping people understand that we're, we're hoping to get at least 80% back. So they may not be able to be exactly like they were before. They may be able to do everything that they used to but with more breaks, or maybe they can't go quite as long. Maybe they went 10 hours before, now then go eight hours before they start having some problems. Vision therapy is, if we're talking expectations about therapy, it's going to be not pleasant. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not fun. The first couple of weeks or things are maybe worse than they've ever been as we stir things up and you have some headaches and nausea and dizziness. And like a lot of therapies, there's there's no perfect linear progression. You'll have good days and then worse days and then but even better days and then worse than you've ever had. And I feel like I'm worse than I've ever been before I met Dr. Duvall. And then 
it's better now too. And so it's a roller coaster of physical and emotional stuff. And there's a, there's a lot going on that will get uncovered as we, we go through the vision therapy process. But in the end, we, we should see some significant improvements in how things work, should be able to get you back doing most of what you want to do again, if not all of it. Once in a while, we have those patients who had problems before the concussion, and now it's even better than it's ever been. But a lot of times there are some frequent breaks and things like that, that they may have to add in where they didn't have to quite do that before. Yeah. Now I'm glad you brought up a lot of times we forget the emotional component to any type of recovery, even though it's there, it's like the elephant you don't want to address, but even like the most amazing athlete recognizes that, wow, this is a component. I really need to work on this aspect of it too. Um, I'm grateful for that because I know with my own vision rehab, I, it definitely was that roller coaster. And I had to get to the point where it was like, Hey, I've learned this tool, these tools. So I don't have to freak out if my eyes go blurry because I know exactly what to do for this. So I started looking at it like, Oh, sweet. I don't even have to be afraid of this anymore because my vision therapist gave me these cool tools, which shout out to Jason, if he ever hears this, but like just being able to have those is an immense relief that most people don't get to have. You mentioned the seven to 10 day period, but also are there certain things from your perspective that like immediately after concussion should be done that could potentially help the process of recovering as much as possible? Yeah. So those first 48 hours, we really, if you've had a significant concussion, you should back off and do less stuff. Try and stay away from screens as much as you can during those first 48 hours, because people will often you know, leave school, leave work, and then go watch Netflix, you know, for 48 hours. And that's not what they need to be doing. They need to be eating well, sleeping well, and meditating, you know, really getting that body in a rest and relaxed state. We're okay. The body's okay. We need to kind of get things back in that parasympathetic rest and digest mode, right? And so those first 48 hours, that would be really helpful. A lot of times getting on like an omega-3 supplement can be really helpful as well. But just in general, a a good, clean diet, especially right after concussion, is very helpful and making sure they're resting. And then after those 48 hours, think it's actually good to start getting back out there a little bit. You don't want to hole up anymore, but minimize screen time, start getting back out and doing some things that you need to do and pace yourself, but don't push yourself uh, into the red zone, right? You got to you know, you may not be feeling great, but see if you can stay out of the red zone, if that makes sense. And and you haven't overdone it because if you've overdone it, you will pay for it. So if you can do things where I did it for a little bit and if I relax for a little bit, I'm okay again, that's kind of where you want to be. You shouldn't have to be paying for it the next couple of hours. If you've done it, you've overdone it. Can I throw out a question too? Within that 48 hours, you said probably avoid the screens. How about reading just like on on of a page. Yep. Reading would probably be okay. If you want to do an audiobook, probably even better. Because okay. the amount of neural processing that has to happen visual-wise versus listening, listening is, is vastly different. You've got this Amazon river of literally millions of bits of information happening with the eyes, where if you're just doing audio, they can still get the book in there and then the mind will create its own pictures but it's not being processed and having to get dealt with the same way and so yeah books can be good you know probably audiobooks where you can where there's so many options now for 
for books on, you know, Kindle and Libby and Overdrive, right? Yeah, that is great. And what you just said brought up another quick question, if that's okay, that I've had patients say that they have trouble visualizing things mm-hmm. is like, you know, closing your eyes, picturing something. How is that related? Is that something that you could help with as a vision? Yeah, it is. We, we actually have procedures to go through and, and work through that. I don't have as many patients come through with that, but I know a couple of people. I've actually got one friend and uh, I've told her she needs to come in and do vision therapy because she can't like describe her way home from here. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you should be able to, you know, walk out the door. And I'm like, okay, what's on your left? What's on your right? And yeah, there are things that we can work through with that visualization. It can be important for some of my like chess players, right? That visualization of what's going to happen next. And we do that probably more with my athletes than I do with my rehabilitation patients, that that visualization, where are things going to be and how's that working? But if that's something that's broken, that's something we can definitely work on. Super interesting. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Well, I love that you mentioned the omega-3 and having a good clean diet. That's always important, whether we want to hear it or not. (laughs) Yeah, for someone listening to, who might be experiencing the effects of concussion, what I know you kind of already talked about what you do in the first like 48 hours. Are there any exercises or tips or anything, I guess, particularly tips that you would recommend that could bring some relief to symptoms they're experiencing in the moment? Mm-hmm. So some palming can actually be helpful. So you can look up palming and, you know, just putting the, the palms on your eyes and just adding some pressure there can help relieve some symptoms. Blue light glasses can be helpful as well, just right up front. And you can buy a lot, lot of those just over the counter. There are good ones, there's bad ones, but just getting some would be a good start to that process. You can also get some, what are called FL41 glasses. They're like concussion glasses. You can find those online as well. So some of those things can give you relief right up front. But then just your basic hat and sunglasses is good. Making sure that you are yeah, definitely getting enough sleep, reducing the sugar that you're taking, the omega-6s and getting more omega-3s, and then lots and lots of water. Those can be a couple of things that can help get your system what it needs so that it can repair the stuff. Uh, because your body's actually trying to repair everything it can. It just needs tools to do that. And you need little micro building blocks to do that. Yeah. Let me ask, why omega-3? Omega-3s are super, super helpful for the brain. It's brain food. Um, You've got all sorts of myelin sheaths and omega-3s are going to be helpful for helping calm down those sheaths and help rebuild them. Omega-3s are natural anti-inflammatories. And so all we have a lot of stuff that we do in our life that is inflammatory. Stress is inflammatory. And high fructose stuff is is inflammatory. But omega-3s, we just don't get a lot of, especially if we're talking about here in Utah. Like we don't eat a lot of fish and, and stuff. So... Uh, Omega-3s are just great because it does act as that natural anti-inflammatory and give us all the building blocks that specifically the brain needs to make the rehabilitation process go better. I love it. So can I ask you, if somebody was interested in finding a good vision therapist, I know you you mentioned the specific title that they should be looking for, but how can they evaluate who's good or if they're looking for somebody? Sure. So one of the things that they want to do is start by going to covd.org, College of Optometrists in Vision Development.org. Like I said, it almost looks like COVID, just no I, right? Uh, and so going there, there's this button where you can push locate a doctor, and then you can put in your zip code on there. And it'll pull up everyone who's both an associate 
and a board certified doctor as well. So usually what I'll do is the next thing else I'll do is push the button and filter and find people who are board certified or a fellow. Some people who are associates are really, really good at what they do. It's hard to know though. Mm-hmm. And, but those people who have decided that they're going to not only finish, but do four more years of stuff to become board certified and do ongoing continue education type stuff to be, to keep up in uh, their certification and board certification. Uh, that's the people that I want to go see. Then you have to go a little bit even deeper because you can pull up their websites and some people are going to be more specialized and focus more on kids and some are going to focus more on concussions. And so usually you can tell pretty quickly just by opening up their webpage if they do concussions or if it's kids. You know, if you open it up and you see the ABC blocks, that's usually a dead giveaway that maybe move on to your next clinic, right? We we do both here since we try and balance that on our, on our webpage and, and things, but uh, a lot of times you'll see things like light sensitivity, nausea, dizziness. Do you have these problems? We can help. But you'll see, you'll also have like, you know, tabs for vision therapy on the website. So short of, you know, you have to do a little bit of, you know, Google research on their website and just see how they, they look and what they do. COVD.org is a good place to start to get you a board certified optometrist. Because, you know, when, when I started out here, I, I had all the credentials, but mostly worked with kids. And that's really how things worked. And I, I still love working with kids. And then eventually, as you, you get more and more neuro cases, you get more neuro cases and the cases get harder because, you know, we start reaching more people, which is great. And I I, I still like working on the, the cases that no one else can fix. And we're just trying to figure out how we can help them. But that would be one way for them to figure out someone close to them. And if they're having trouble, uh, they're they're welcome to reach out to to me and I can help them find someone closer to their area. In cases where I've got patients that don't have anyone close, there are some, you know, Zoom options and we can do treatment remotely. So how can people get in contact with you and where can they find you? Yep. Uh, so the the easiest way to start would be to go to our website, uh, www.newsitevt.com, N-E-W-S-I-G-H-T, V is in vision, T is in therapy. Dot com. You can also send us an email at patientcare at newsitevt.com. And those are the two of the easy ways to get a hold of us really quickly. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here together with us today. This was so helpful and I've learned a lot as I was expecting to. This is really great. I really appreciate your time today. It, it's been a pleasure. I really thank you for the invitation to come on. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Good to see you, hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad you listened in today. I hope you have gained some helpful insights and inspiration regarding dealing with and recovering from concussions. My goal is to create more awareness and education about concussions and the fact that there is so much that can be done to improve life after someone has had one. Help me spread the message by liking, commenting, rating, and subscribing to this podcast and share it with others who would benefit from hearing it. There are more resources available on my website. And again, if you or someone you love would benefit from concussion coaching, sign up for a free consultation using the link in the show notes or at my website, www.theconcussioncoach.com. Thank you. See you next time and take good care of that amazing brain of yours.